Welcome to the Miko One Show. I am your host, Cricket. Today, our guest is studied violin in Southfield, Michigan, graduated from Michigan State University with a bachelor's of music education, devoted husband, devoted father, passionate teacher. Welcome, Rodney Page. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Cricket. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am excited to be here. It's, it's, thank you so much for taking the time with me. Thank you for showing your time and your talent. Truly a blessing. I follow you on Facebook. I think you are amazing. And the devoted father, I love how you have taught your children violin. And see, God did not bless me with that gift. So one of my questions is, who trained you as a violinist? So um, I was trained, um, I had several private lesson teachers that, um, uh, Karen Warner, um, who worked for Southfield Public Schools back in the late 1980s, is the person who started me on the violin. And then I had several teachers, um, Valerie Way, um, I had uh, Professor Walter Verdeer at Michigan State, um, I had Benjamin McKnight, he was the band and orchestra teacher at Southfield High School in the 90s. Um, so I've had a plethora of great teachers that really kind of shaped who I am today musically. Amen. How do you maintain a violin and how do you determine the size of a violin? Uh, what to purchase when you come to purchasing? Sure. That's a good question. So maintaining it, um, one really important thing is to make sure that you keep the humidity at a stable level. Um, which can be challenging when you live in a place like Michigan, which is, which is dry in the wintertime and is humid during the summer. So um, you have to make sure that I have a little, it's kind of basically it's a little water gauge. that's a humidifier that I put in the case during the winter months so it doesn't become too dry because the wood will crack um, if it becomes too dry. Um, you also have to make sure that your bow you have to make sure that the hair on your bow is loose when you're done playing. So that's one thing that's important. Um, you never want to leave your instrument in the car because it, if it's hot, it'll, you know, ruin the instrument. But it, the same thing can happen if you leave it in the car like days like today and it's cold. So um, and then in general, you, uh, you know, it's a delicate instrument. The wood, it's hollow. So, you know, it's definitely not. A, it, it always has to be in its case. You know, it's not a toy or anything like that. Um, but if you do those days, you should be able to um, keep it for a really long time. So what makes an excellent violinist? So uh, the violin, you mean the violin itself? What makes an excellent no, violinist? No, as a person, when they oh. look at you and, you know, when they're looking at different training, what is considered an excellent violinist? I, I would say someone that can really connect with, your audience um what's i guess i mean this is a kind of a general answer but what i would say with music the beautiful thing about music is it's the same worldwide so i always say to, i said this to someone yesterday i said a quarter note in tokyo is the same as a quarter note in compton in quebec in sydney australia in rio de janeiro in miami beach and there's very few things that's the same everywhere so a good violinist i think can evoke emotion from the audience so I can make you feel depressed. I can make you feel like you want to cry. I can make you feel like you want to jump with joy. Um, I think they have to also have good technique. Because the violin, it takes years to really hone in on your technique. 
and to be able to play in tune is difficult too. So um, a, a good violinist can make you feel what they feel. Wow. I mean, I'm not musically inclined, but when you, one thing that you mentioned is being tuned with the audience and creating emotions through music and music is melody. So today I have a co-host. I love her to death. Mighty woman of God. She's an incredible mentor. She's an artist, storyteller, retired school social worker, and she's a therapist. Let's welcome my mentor, Miss Rosie. Hello, Miss Rosie. Oh, hello, hello, hello. Hi there, Rodney. Hi, Rosie. <laughs> How are you, sir? I am delightful. I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I am so fabulous. I'm too fabulous for words. And, you know, it's a pleasure to meet the man behind the violin. <laughs> I, you know, watching your videos, um, you are an amazing uh, violinist, but you're you're also a performer. I, I, I like the way you walk around and you you are into your music. You're not sitting in a chair and playing first chair in the orchestra. You are you're involved in connecting with your audience, which you just said that's how that's what makes you excellent, right? It's important. I mean, people listen to music because of the way it makes them feel. You know, mm -hmm. you don't listen to music because you want to hear a, a whole note. You mm -hmm. listen to of the way it makes you feel. So if I can make you feel a certain way, I know I've done my job. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you, you were doing a great job. Um, my first question, who inspired you to become a violinist? Well, this is an interesting answer. My mom made me play violin. Mm. My mom said a man, a young man that can play violin is distinguished. And that is why she made me play violin. Growing up off of 8 Mile and Southfield Freeway, there were not a plethora of violinists for me to even look up to. So um, when it was offered in the Southfield Public Schools, my mom made me sign up. And I'm glad that she did because I haven't put it down since. Very good. Well, I was wondering about that because that's not something that uh, normally uh, a Black young man would, would gravitate toward the violin. That's why I was wondering who inspired you. My next question. What took you so long to produce your first album? That's a very good question also. I think some insecurities, I'm going to be honest with you, because my degree is not in composition or writing music. My degree was in teaching students. And so a lot of my energy and my time was put towards working with students, not wow. trying to create. And I never thought about the idea of creating my own music. I was always thinking about helping someone else play um, or playing someone else's music. So I spent decades playing other people's music. And so the inspiration by the album was I wanted to leave a legacy for my, my children. So when I'm long and gone, they can say that these songs were my dad's songs. So it took me a long time to do that because I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't confident in myself to write music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess everything, you have to be ready for it. And you weren't ready. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense. You know, I've noticed um, from your, your um, resume and everything, you, you've played in a variety of venues. Where are a few other places or countries or venues that you haven't played in that you would like to play in? 
Mm. Um, I would love to play in Carnegie Hall in New York. Ooh. Um, I would love to perform somewhere in Africa. I would like to travel to Africa if we're really being honest. But um, and then I would like to do more like a like a I guess you would call it like a TED talk or corporate, like a major corporate almost um event that I could perform at. Like that would be held like at a Little Caesars arena or something like that. Um but I guess those offhand would be the the three places that I'd like to perform that I haven't performed yet. TED Talk. Put that on your put that on your your um your vision board, the TED Talk. That would be so cool. Um let's see. Let me see I have another question. Yes. What motivates you? <laughs> what motivates you? I would say uh, I've always motivated uh, my children definitely motivate me to be a better man, a better person. I think there was a level of maturity that I went that I gained once I became a father. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, I'm also motivated by um, I don't want to say yeah, driven by just uh, I don't want to say by Christ, but I am going to say by Christ because um, he keeps me motivated to make sure that whatever I'm doing, people can see Christ through everything that I do, whether I'm speaking, because the the venues that I play at and um, are just, they're varied. And I did, that's, a, that's an understatement. So for example, I could be playing at prison on the west side of Detroit at a church. I played in um, Ireland. I played at a Pistons game. I played at a barn party with country music, prom, funerals. So, I mean, I, I the country clubs. I mean, so I've seen, and, and all of those people that can see, potentially see Christ through what I'm doing. So that's a huge motivation. And also goes to say how powerful music is. You know, it's so, it's, it's there's a spiritual element to music. And I want to make sure that um, I'm using it to uplift other people. Beautiful. Uh, my last question, Estelle, is for, for you, Mr. Page. What is your message to children who want to be where you are today in the world of music? Mm. Well, I would say w- one is you have to you have to work hard. You have to stay dedicated to it. You need to have like regular practice time. Um, you have to literally over rehearse. And I say over rehearse because then when it's time to perform, you can be confident in expressing yourself. I, I, I liken it to say it, it's no different than me reading something to you all right now and me talking to you. I can read it and you can understand everything I'm saying because you understand English. But if I'm talking to you and I'm engaging you, you feel different. Um, and then I would say to make sure that. Um, you are doing music for the right reasons. Some people do music for money. Some people do music for Facebook friends. Some people do music for status. You know, I don't do music for any of those reasons. I do music because it's a way to bless other people. And if you can, if, if you can not do music for the wrong reasons, you know, God will open up doors for you. Thank you. I love, your, I love your answers. I love all your answers. 
They're beautiful. And my thing is, you're a devoted husband, a devoted father. Have you ever included your own children in performance geared specifically for children? In a performance for just children? Yes. Well, I mean, I've my kids, um, we've I've played with them. They've done, they play in school and they've done individual performances at church and at different. Um, my oldest son, when he was maybe eight or nine, played at the Michigan State University, ironically, Rosie, social work graduation, um, which had 1,200 attendees. And he played by himself. He played the MSU fight song in front of 1,200 of their uh, graduates and their parents and family members. And so they, they, they've had a lot of opportunities to perform. I'll say this, too. I have them perform not so that they can just be like me, but I want them to instill that hard work and confidence to take to whatever profession they want, you know, because there, I, I put it this way. There's no like Cliff, uh, cliff Notes version of playing the violin. You can't learn the violin in two weeks. There, there's no shortcut. You know, it's just it just takes time. And I, um, that's what I want them to take away from it. And I mean, I, if for my oldest son, because he's about to graduate, he's going to Grand Valley State University in the fall. And he's not majoring in music, but he's got that work ethic in him. And that's that's what I want to say that, you know, when something's not going right, stay with it, you know, because you can still bless other people. It's not easy. My mom made me practice. She would pull me off the playground and say, you got to do your 30 minutes of violin practice. And I'm sure I didn't want to practice, especially when I was 10 years old. But I'm glad she did because all the different things that I've done as an adult are because she pushed me when I was younger. Amen. Amen. Your mom was an inspiration. And like Miss Rosie said, back in that time, there wasn't many African-American young men interested in the violin. And how you grew up in Southfield, it, even that era, Southfield was amazing. I call it upscale. That's we, if you put some slang to it. And they offered a lot of opportunities for a lot of people because I worked in Southfield for years. Mm. So my... My one of my questions is because, like I said, I'm not trained in music at all. How does fiddling differ from classical music? That's a um, fiddling differs. I would use it uh, uh, a great analogy. Is how does someone from New York talk as compared to someone from New Orleans? Mm. They're both speaking English, mm -hmm. so you understand it. So someone that's white that lives in Montana, if I said, I'm fixing to go to the store, that's not what they say there, but they understand English well enough to know what you mean. So you play the instrument the same way. The differences are just going to be the style of the, of the, the playing. The fiddle music, usually uh, you play double stops. Double stops means you're playing two strings at once. You don't do quite as much of that in classical music. And then also there's a lot of um, repetitive notes in fiddle music and most like a concerto or a sonata. There's not a lot of repetitive notes. Um, typically in fiddle music, someone else is singing the melody or something. Usually the violin isn't the melody. It's usually more background where in classical music, 
typically if it's a violin, it's 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 the thing. It's the melody. It's the thing. So, I mean, those are some things I would also say there's some key signatures. not to get too technical, but there's certain key signatures um, that um, fiddle music wouldn't be in because usually fiddle music has open strings, meaning that you play with no fingers down. And mm. classical music, you're usually using all four because you don't use your thumb, but you use your index, middle, ring finger, and pinky finger. So, I mean, those are those are some difference, but it's more just so the, the style of play that that it really differentiates them. Okay, a lot of people don't know that you are a DJ. <laughs> so you, I know. So explain to me how you created an innovative technique where you incorporated your music what? as a violinist because I can't see DJ and violinist. Help me out. DJ, help me out. Help me out, right? Well, I didn't see it either. Uh, I didn't see it either. I actually had a friend of mine that I went to school with. He's a DJ from the east side of Detroit, but we went to Michigan State together. And he said, well, you play violin and you DJ. Have you ever thought about putting the two together? And I said, no. Why why would I want to do that? And then like a seventh grader, I was like, well, what? What would my friends think if they saw me DJing and playing violin? Nobody, I've never seen that on the internet. I've never seen anybody do that. Why would I want to do that? He says, well, you, you should do that. You would, that would, that would make you different. That would make you stand out. And so I tried it. And um, the response from the people who I tried it from, I think I was at a, I think I might've been at a bar in Lansing when I tried it for the first time and they loved it. And, and from then on, I kept, um, incorporating the two. Um, and it's the best of both worlds because it, it, it makes a performance, you know, a DJ usually doesn't come from behind their DJ table or booth or whatever. Um, so it just, it was kind of the best of both worlds. You get live music and a DJ kind of in one, you know, and, and so now when I do weddings, um, it's kind of like a show. I mean, so I'll, um, you know, DJ or scratch and mix something and then people are dancing and then I'll come out from behind the DJ booth and play violin for two minutes and then go back. And then at weddings, I usually, um, and even schools, I do this too. Um, I'll beatbox during the, the mix. And then I usually dedicate a freestyle rap to the bride and groom. So I'm basically kind of doing like whose line is it anyway live so i'm talking about you graduated from michigan state and you all met you know at such and such hall and i'm just gathering all the information from what i observed at the reception you know so that's a more engaging experience and that's what i try to bring uh, to the table but it's I, I i have seen one other dj um in las vegas that plays violin like more uh, electronic music like techno that kind of stuff but i that's I haven't seen anyone do that before. So that's kind of my own lane, I guess, until someone else does. <laughs> Amazing. I want to say thank you once again, Rodney Page, for being our guest on the Miko One Show. We always close with the prayer. But this time, my co-host, Miss Rosie, can you close us out with the prayer? Because we love you so much. Did she leave me? Did she leave me? <laughs> I unmute myself. That might yeah. help. <laughs> <laughs> you think? 
Okay, I'm going to close this out in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you, Lord, for strength, health, and for being in our right minds. Lord, thank you for bringing Rodney Page to us and letting him share his gift, letting him share his joy of playing the violin and how he is motivating others to strive to be their best and also to strive to do what God has put him to do. He wants others to know you need to listen to the voice of God and let Jesus guide you every step of the way. Heavenly Father, continue to give him strength, continue to give him the power to, to do what he that he's doing now, and that is to play the violin, to be a DJ, to write his own music, and to be the father and husband that you want him to be. And the Father, just want to thank you again for Estelle and for her vision, because she is truly a visionary. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.